Fortnum and Masons has one of the top food halls in the West End of London. Its store in Piccadilly is for rich people. They claim they invented the idea of the food hamper. And if you go on their website, you can find you can buy one for a mere £50 or up to £1,000. One Christmas, when I lived with my family in Winchester, Jacqueline was surprised when the doorbell went and the man at the door had a very big parcel and inside was such a Fortnum and Mason hamper. It took him a little while to persuade her that it was for us, but we enjoyed opening it and exploring the range of treats for the family which were inside the hamper. Entirely free to us, because a kind friend had sent it as a Christmas present. Our theme today is grace, the word grace. And I want you to think of the word grace as a hamper word. It's a small word, a single word, but it includes a vast range of gifts, of good things, of treasures to enjoy. In fact, it will take eternity for us to explore and enjoy all that's contained in the grace of God. We're going to be looking at the subject of grace over the next five weeks and I've been asked this morning to talk about our introduction into grace, the way in which we receive grace, how we first experience the grace of God. Our text is Romans chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. We're going to look at this matter of gaining access into grace, but I'm going to prefer to use the word introduced an access and I'll come to explain that translation issue to you later on. The feast we're going to have is to discover some of the things which we are introduced to by faith in our Lord Jesus Christ and that will be not only this week but over the weeks to come. But this is our introduction into grace. Now I'm glad that we have some of the uh, teenagers here today and some of them may have seen what I'm going to show you now. Some of you older ones may have been uh, introduced to this before. But you can think of what grace is by the initial letters of the word G-R-A-C-E. The definition of grace is God's riches at Christ's expense. And if you don't remember anything else this morning, make sure you remember that. Grace is God's riches at Christ's expense. We have to begin with God because grace is part of his nature, the kind of God he is. That's where we shall begin this morning. The riches are the valuable blessings in the plural, you'll notice, many of them in the hamper, 
many of these good things which are ours, not because of who we are, but at Christ's expense, because he obtained them to give to us God's riches at Christ's expense. So first of all, let's look at God himself, our God of grace. Because, as the Bible explains to us, God, in his character, is a God of grace. In fact, the Bible is a revelation of who God is. That's what the Bible is about. It explains and opens, unfolds to us through the history of the events there what God is really like. He is holy, he is just, he is wise, he is true, he is loving. And grace is one way to describe his love. So before we ask what he gives, we should be thinking about who he is. And 1 Peter 5.10 tells us he is the God of all grace. That's the kind of God that he is. Now some of you younger people will be going back to school or college next term and you'll probably have new teachers. And one of the things you've already started to do is to talk to other children and say, what is he like or what is she like? Because you'll expect to find a certain kind of teacher and what they're like tells you what they're going to do. That's the same with God. What he is like, he is the God of grace. And so that's the beginning of all we need to find out about him. And grace is, is his generosity. It's, it's what moves him to be such a giving God. And we need to look at this because uh, we can't read all the Bible verses about it. There are 132 references to grace in the New Testament and even there isn't a clock here. I'm not going to start on that list. But just a few things about what God's character is like. God's grace is undeserved. That means that his favour to us is unmerited. It's a distinctive aspect of his love. Paul is once uh, trying to explain to the Christians at Corinth about his role as an apostle. And he writes to them like this, he says, I do not deserve to be called an apostle, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. That's what every Christian says. I don't deserve to be a Christian, but by the grace of God I am what I am. Because he doesn't look for good in us and say, if there's enough good, then I'll receive you. He says, here is grace to the undeserving. No one earns the grace of God and no one deserves it. So no one could go around saying, look at me, what a great person I'm done. I am what I've done in order to become a Christian. No, it's undeserved grace and favour to us. And we have no pride in saying that we are receiving his grace. But one of the things I wanted to do by using that picture of a hamper is to say that his grace is diverse. It doesn't contain one thing. There are very many different forms of grace. In 1 Peter 4, the word that Peter uses about grace means 
in the Greek language, many-coloured. So as I look out on the congregation, I see many different colours of clothes because we're all different people. And the grace of God is so many different things that we can't tie it down to one small thing. And over the next weeks we're going to look at some of the aspects of that in grace to endure, grace to serve, grace to give. There are many forms of God's grace. The hamper contains these gifts because God is a generous God. But there's something special about grace that we will never want to forget. Paul once was writing to the Christians at Corinth about the tough times he'd been through. And he says, it was so bad, I asked God to take it away. What did God say? Yes, I'll take it away from you. No, he didn't. He said, my grace is sufficient for you. So that's something very important about God's grace. It's sufficient for every situation that he takes you in. The testimony of the Apostle Paul, my grace is sufficient for you, has been an encouragement to so many people over so many hundreds of years. That sense that we don't deserve it. He has so many ways of helping us, but whatever condition we're in, he has grace enough. And sometimes we even sing in one of our songs of the fact of the fact that when our trials increase, so his grace increases all the more. That's the kind of God that he is. But I want you to think too about the fact that this God of grace is an opportunity for us. An opportunity for us to know him and to start receiving these blessings. Now you remember a few moments ago I said we don't deserve it. Now we don't deserve it because we are born into this world as sinners and we disobey God. The Bible tells us the unwelcome truth that we have all come short of the glory of God. We have all sinned in his sight. We don't deserve that he should be good to us. We deserve that he should punish us. And instead, he showers this undeserved, diverse, all-sufficient grace on us. Now that's why so many of the songs that we are singing this morning and others that you know talk about God's grace, we are responding to that with worship and awe and amazement. Have you noticed how many times that word comes up in Christian songs and hymns, that we are amazed, amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. Do you know who the wretch was who wrote that 200 years ago? He was a slave captain. And he had been a cruel man. And yet he experienced God's mercy in Christ. And he wrote that hymn which we'll sing at the end of the service. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. Then there's a, the one we've just been singing about grace. And when I think of how at Calvary he bore sin's penalty instead of me, amazed. I wonder why he, the sinless one, should die for one 
so vile as I, my Saviour he. I want to challenge you this morning. I don't think we will ever understand how amazing grace is until we realise how sinful we are. In fact, only the ones who know that they deserve language like this, a wretch so vile as I, only those people are going to be moved in the worship of amazement and be going to be able to say, this is not something I deserve, this is something God in his astonished mercy has given to me. There's another modern hymn that we haven't sung this morning which talks about outrageous grace. What's outrageous? Well, it's something that goes beyond reason. It's extravagant. How could God even think about having mercy on sinners like us? Because he is the God of all grace. So that, think about that this morning. Think about yourself. If you don't really think of God as being amazing in having mercy on you, I wonder if you're a Christian at all. I wonder if you have really understood what Jesus did in order to bring us into his family. It will be a grievous sin of unbelief for us to know these things and not to say, what amazing, what wonderful, astonishing goodness there is in the heart of God towards us. That's why it's so important that we move on now from looking at the God of grace to this matter in our text in Romans 5, how we are introduced into this grace, how we have access to it. Now, I'm using the word introduce instead of the word access for this reason. Well, access has become a rather mechanical word. I'm not into computer games. But I have a grandson who is really into computer games. And he's given me the language I've got to use now. He says that if you get the right scores in level one, you are unlocked to get access into level two. It doesn't matter who you are, it doesn't matter what your name is, as long as you get the right scores, you get access. I do know that sometimes when I've been doing things on my computer... I have a warning that comes up in a window that says, access denied. Now, it's not because they don't like me, although computers sometimes seem to feel that. It isn't because there's anything wrong with me, it's because I haven't done the right things to get access. Now, that's all mechanical. Forget it. Grace is personal. It's about being introduced. It's about me turning up at Kate's mother's home, that's where she is this weekend, I'm told, and saying, I would like to see your baby. And I think it's very likely that they tell me where to go. But if one of Kate's friends knows she's staying with her mother for the weekend and says, I'd like to come round, of course, Kate will say, I'll introduce you to my baby because you're a friend of mine. It's a personal thing. Grace is not mechanical. We don't do things in order to score and get it. We are introduced to grace. How? By Jesus Christ. Here it is. Our Lord Jesus Christ, verse 1, through whom we have gained access. 
Or as one of the translations says, through our Lord Jesus Christ, we have obtained our introduction by faith into this grace. Now this should not surprise us when we read elsewhere in the Bible that when Jesus was born, John tells us at the beginning of his Gospel, he was full of grace and truth. Jesus is full of grace. He's the one who introduces us to the grace of God. Even the faith that we have to trust him is a gift of his grace. Now I want you to open your Bible at Romans 5 because as I said after Pat kindly read it to us, this is a complicated chapter. And there's a section in the middle from verse 12 through to verse 19 which the heading (coughs) in the NIV says death through Adam, life through Christ. It is contrasting two men. The man Adam and the man Christ. And it's saying that in Adam all die. And it's saying that in Christ all are made alive. Now there are no two options. There are not three men or four men or five men. There are only two men. We are either in Adam as we were born or we're in Christ as we are reborn. And that's what he's saying here in this rather complicated passage. Verse 15 says, If the many died by the trespass of one man, how much more did God's grace and the gift that came by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, overflow to the many? We are introduced by Jesus and by Jesus alone into the grace of God. That's the key message of the whole of the letters of the Romans. It's certainly the important message of verses 1 and 2 of this chapter. So let's spend a little while now looking at what we're introduced to by the Lord Jesus Christ. And the first thing to say is that we are introduced into a kind of palace of privileges. Like a prince introducing us to his father's palace, Jesus brings us into the audience chamber of God himself. So the list of all those privileges which Jesus has, he is able to share with us. Now we haven't got time to go through those 132 references. We'll just look at some of them in this chapter. In verse 9 and 10 and 11, we're told that one of those privileges is to be reconciled to God. Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if when we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son. How much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? There's a lot there which we could look at. It's saying we are enemies because of our sin. But what did Jesus do? Jesus gave his life to take the punishment we deserved. 
so that we who were enemies are now God's friends. We're reconciled to him. Not because of what we deserve or what we do, but because of all that Jesus did and we're introduced into this by the Lord Jesus Christ. Once for all. Then go back to verse 2 for a moment. Because here he uses a little expression which is significant. He says, through the Lord Jesus we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. We stand in the presence of God. We stand as his adopted children. We stand on the day of judgment. There is going to be a day of judgment. We don't have to wait for that to have the assurance and confidence. He says we now stand. We can stand before God and call him our Father and enjoy the riches of his grace because the Lord Jesus has introduced us into this grace in which we now stand. Even the verb used is in a tense here that isn't something that's on and off or sporadic. It's something that's continuous. We remain standing in the presence of God because we're introduced into his grace. Then look at something else in verse 2. It says, into this grace in which we now stand and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. We can now rejoice in his presence. That's why we have these songs. That's why we're singing. That's why we're glad. That's why we worship. That's why we're here today because we have a hope that is now in Christ and a hope that's ours (coughs) for eternity. It means that even though this present life may be one of uncertainty and sometimes disappointing experiences. We have this glory of God to wait for and there'll be a place when we're in heaven where there'll be no sin and no temptation and no tears and no parting. What a blessing it is that the grace of God introduces us to a place in which we can rejoice. But did you notice the next verse? Ah, this is a surprise because he now goes on to say not only so but we also rejoice (coughs) in our sufferings. We're introduced into a place of suffering by grace. We didn't think of that, did we? We only wanted to have the blessings in the hamper but some of the blessings in the hamper are strangely wrapped Look at what happens here. He says we can find joy in our sufferings because of something that we know. We know that suffering changes us. It produces perseverance, character and hope. And hope does not disappoint us because God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom he has given us. Yes, the gift of God's grace includes his spirit. It includes this outpouring of his undeserved love to us. So though there is suffering in this world, there is grace to cope with it 
and to change us and to fit us from heaven. It's also interesting that right at the end of this chapter, look at verse 20 and 21. It says that grace is always greater. The law was added so that the trespass might increase. But where sin increased, grace increased all the more. So that just as sin reigned in death, so also grace might reign through righteousness to bring eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. I like that expression. Grace reigns. He's in charge. He's in control of it all. Whatever these things are that are happening, there is the reigning, the authority of grace. In fact, the expression used here about increasing all the more has as its root the word for hyper-increase. You know, we used to have supermarkets. They weren't big enough. Then we had hypermarkets. Well, this is the biggest word of all. The hyper word is used here. Hyper-grace abounding. Some of you will expect me to hold this book up now and I'm not going to disappoint you. John Bunyan. This copy is only 100 years old, but it was 300 years ago when he wrote it. And what's it called? Grace abounding to the chief of sinners. Let me read you the, the very title of the book. He says, A brief relation of the exceeding mercy of God in Christ to him, in taking him out of the dunghill and converting him to the faith of his blessed Son, Jesus Christ. This is grace abounding to the chief of sinners. This is a man who said, I'm not just a sinner. I'm the worst of them all. But what did God do? He showed me his grace. And his grace abounds so much greater than all my sin. This is a difficult book to read. I wouldn't necessarily recommend it to you all because it goes up and down. It tells you how he went sometimes to the heights of faith and others he was down in the depths again and his experience was a very trying one. But in the end, grace reigns. God is a God of such infinite mercy and goodness to us. Well, there's lots more in the Bible about grace. Did you know the very last prayer in the Bible? The last verse in the Bible is the grace of the Lord Jesus be with God's people. But our message today is to say it's no use our looking directly to God for these things. The only person who can open the hamper is our Lord Jesus Christ. We are introduced into a whole palace of privileges by him. He said, I am the way. To those already there, it stirs us to awesome adoration and to sing about his amazing grace. And to any of us here this morning who are not yet there, what does it say to us? It says the door is still open. It says the Lord Jesus Christ, when he died on the cross, died for all who call upon him. And if we turn from the life which we're living now, in Adam, in all the death and horror that that means in eternity, if we turn to the Lord Jesus Christ, then he will open to us the grace of such a wonderful God. We should be thanking Jesus for what he's done. If you're not a Christian, 
go home and thank Jesus for dying on the cross and go on thanking him until you feel in your heart that sense of amazement that he should ever have mercy upon you. What is grace about? It's God's riches at Christ's expense. Let's sing then about that amazing grace now. We'll sing together that hymn. Thank you.